Good morning, First Presbyterian Church of Berkeley. Good morning. It is wonderful to be back here among you as someone who has attended here for some number of years and then also to get the opportunity to share with you and to read scripture together and discover where Jesus is among us. As we come to our scripture this morning, would you please join me in a word of prayer? Lord, would you find us where we are on the threshold? You who see us, whether it is on the road or in our home, you who offer us bread, who offer us yourself. May our hearts overflow with your love for us that we might have the courage to step into new life. Amen. Our reading today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. We find the disciples here, I'm going to give you a little where we have been. Not long after the women have returned from the tomb, which was empty, and Peter went to check it out as well. And so the word of the Lord says, now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some of our women, some women of our group, astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to where they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them when he was at table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were our hearts not burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. 
Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The worship leader David Crowder tells this story in his book, Praise Habit. He had experienced in the middle of his college life a sudden loss, the kind that comes in a phone call and tears out everything that you know about the world. God suddenly seemed completely absent. At least God was nowhere that David Crowder would looking to find him. No food tasted good. And then one day he bit into a fast food sandwich and the goodness of God was there. <laughs> Slowly, he began to see God again in the very ordinary, simple places. The loss was still very real. But God was there in a chicken sandwich. Where else might be God, he asked. The threshold out of the wilderness is more confusing and more complicating than we often hope it will be. Certainly as readers of the gospel, we read with an eye of the whole story. We read from Lent into Easter in one fell swoop, and it seems simple. We know it's Jesus that meets these two on the road to Emmaus. We're looking for the reveal. But amidst our own stories, we stand at the thresholds. We struggle to make sense of life amidst death and loss. We look for Jesus in the places we thought we would find him, and those places so often are empty. The two disciples on their journey from Emmaus walk in this space of limbo. The tomb stands empty, and they have no idea what to make of it. They meet Jesus, but they can't recognize him yet. It's not until he shows up in a meal, breaking and blessing the bread, that they can see his presence with them the whole time. At the turning point of Easter, we are faced with a similar question, aren't we? How do we see the risen Jesus in our midst? This passage is so often titled The Road to Emmaus, but to leave it at that misses the powerful U-turn that these two disciples experience over the course of their journey. The emotional crossing from disappointment and sadness to joy. The physical turn from separation from the other disciples as they leave Jerusalem, and then the return back to community with a new mission. On the way from Jerusalem, these two, Cleopas and another, and some commentators leave the door open for this to be Cleopas and his wife, so I like to think of them as Mr. and Mrs. Cleopas. They are reeling from the events of last week. When Jesus meets them, they aren't ready to recognize him. They are still walking in the wilderness. The story that Mary Magdalene and Johanna and Mary, the mother of James, has told doesn't make any sense. New life is jarring and disorienting as much as it is profound and beautiful. Often we can't see it even when it's right in front of our faces. And Mr. and Mrs. Cleopas can't recognize Jesus because they aren't prepared to. It's a hard turn from disorientation to impossible good news. And Jesus stops them in their tracks. Their sadness is actually tinged with some anger and sarcasm. Their explanation of their experience reveres, reveals their disappointment. They don't refer to Jesus as Lord. They've left their group. 
They've left any communal mourning that might be going on for Jesus, abandoned any search for his body. They don't believe the women's account at the tomb. We so often think, I feel, that Jesus appearing to us means that we have to have faith first. But so often Jesus appears to walk with us when we are just in the place that our doubt is the strongest, just when we are wrestling most deeply with the problem and the challenge of new life. It's an afternoon's walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Historians disagree on exactly where this ancient village is. It's only mentioned in the Bible in this particular passage, but outside accounts place it anywhere from three to 20 miles away from Jerusalem, depending on your source. Luke here calls it 60 stadia, or about seven miles. And perhaps this is just a random detail I'm throwing in here, but the point is, is that Luke mentions how far it was, so we know how long this walk was. And it wasn't a short walk. Jesus answers this sarcasm of the two disciples with a bit of scolding first. Haven't they been paying attention this whole time? And then he patiently walks with them all the way from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's not a short road, and it isn't flat either. He walks them through all of the prophetic voices that speak through the scriptures to Jesus dying and being resurrected in just this kind of way, this kind of unexpected way. He walks with them in their doubt and their anger and their frustration and their grief. How often do we read a passage dozens of times always seeing it in kind of the same way. And then something or something that someone said opens it up in a way that causes our hearts to burn with recognition of the God who is God in a deeper way. How often is it that we can miss Jesus the first time or the first 20 times only for him to show up to stand with us a little bit later? But the story isn't at all complete if we leave the disciples and Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus. They're walking with a Jesus they don't recognize. The story is about the breaking of the bread. It's always about the bread, isn't it? If you wanna find Jesus, look for where someone is having a meal. He seems to eat his way all the way through the book of Luke. And in fact, the last time I was standing here preaching to you, I was also talking about Jesus sitting with a bunch of people eating a meal. When they arrive in Emmaus, Mr. and Mrs. Cleopas insist, Jesus, please, you must stay. Except they don't call him Jesus yet. And Jesus stays, and yet he reverses it. Even though he is the guest, he takes the role of the host. He takes the bread and he blesses it and he breaks it and he gives it to them. And they recognize him. They, reg- they remember, they see, they see Jesus at their table. The last thing Jesus did before his arrest, he shared a meal with his disciples. He took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it, and he declared it to be his body, that they should do it again in remembrance of him. Passover was over at this point in Emmaus, but here Jesus was again, shouting who he was through the smell of the bread, the sound of his voice saying the blessing. 
The beauty of this remembering is that while we practice the Lord's Supper today, the communion meal, not literally today, but in our time, in a formal sense, the bare bones of it are incredibly ordinary. The two disciples did nothing extraordinary on their walk or once they arrived. They showed up in their sadness and their anger, and Jesus met them in the ordinary stuff of dinner. I served on a leadership team while I was an undergraduate student for our Christian fellowship at the time. And one day we were in the midst of planning a retreat for our community and a friend of mine thought, well, why don't we bring some bread and bring some grape juice and take a moment while we are on retreat to have communion? Her comment immediately caused a bit of an uproar in our meeting. This student group was entirely student-run. There were no clergy or outside members who were leading us. And we were a group of students from all over the world and all over the country and all kinds of different denominations. And so immediately when she brings this up, the Catholics and the Anglicans and the Lutherans are like, we can't do that. We don't have a priest among us to bless the bread. And others answered, well, why not? Aren't we to do this in remembrance of Jesus? And then, of course, we had to launch into a discussion of, is Jesus literally in the bread? Or can lay leaders perform this any time? Could we perhaps get a priest to pre-bless the bread and the juice before we went on retreat? We talked for some amount of time, and at the end, we couldn't really find a good way to make all of us feel comfortable from so many of our diverse traditions. So we agreed to simply let one of the members bless our dinner meal and let that be that, and let Jesus show up as Jesus was wont to show up anywhere. But the beauty of this conversation that I thought about both in the moment and then have reflected on afterward is that our discussion, our argument, is one that has been happening over millennia that is not unique to our student group or to our generation. We had very similar discussions in my seminary classroom as we debated the meaning of the bread and the wine amongst people of various denominations. We had similar conversations about how do we practice the Lord's Supper during a pandemic? Can we do it remotely? How does what we think about Jesus showing up among us change when we're in a virtual setting? And in our own Reformed tradition, we do view the Lord's Supper as a sign of God's promise and a seal of God's grace to us. In the bread and the wine, we experience Jesus in our midst. And something mysterious and spiritual happens in the celebration, and we give it special place in our monthly rhythm of worship, don't we? There's something holy in the elements. But in our tradition, we also recognize the ordinary in those elements as well. And so over time, over the course of doing remote worship, I have greatly appreciated the opportunity at the invitation of pastors leading the Lord's Supper to go into my kitchen and find whatever bread or coffee or tea or wine might be there, whatever juice or leftover broth from last night's dinner, and to bring them and to recognize Jesus in my home. We might celebrate together communion once a month, 
But there also is nothing stopping us from seeing Jesus in our morning muffin or in our fast food burger. And the story doesn't end here in Emmaus with Jesus at the table either. As soon as he's recognized, he disappears. The disciples must decide, how do we respond to this? They don't even properly finish their meal before they go racing back to Jerusalem. And remember, they already told Jesus, it's too late to be traveling. You should stay with us. They probably have another few hours walk to get back to Jerusalem, but it cannot wait until morning. It's dusk and their emotions are running high, similarly to before, but completely different. This time, it's urgent excitement. Seeing Jesus has moved them spiritually, emotionally, and physically to go running back to Jerusalem. This isn't just good news, it's huge and confusing and life-changing news. And seeing Jesus demands that they get back to the rest of their community. They have to tell them about the meaning of the scriptures, how they almost missed who Jesus was. They still don't completely understand, but they have to tell the rest of the disciples about how they saw Jesus as he broke the bread. They're beginning to accept that everything has changed, even if they don't quite understand what's coming next. So how do we recognize the risen Jesus in our midst? How do we recognize the risen Jesus even when the realities of our own life seem very far from resurrection? He doesn't appear oftentimes when we expect it or necessarily are looking for it. He finds us in the very places when maybe we've given up, when all the other places we looked have come up empty. He finds us when we're still wandering in the wilderness. We see Jesus in scripture, in the gospels, and also in the grand narrative that opens our hearts to see God's redemption throughout time. We see him in a stranger along the road, perhaps in a conversation in a checkout line. We see him in our theological questions, in our disagreements, in our wrestling to see and hear God's call. We see Jesus in our differences, which force us to realize the many assumptions we've made about who he is and where we might find him. We see him on Sunday mornings, speaking words over bread and wine, showing us his body and his hands and his feet. We see him around a table, whether it's a wedding banquet or at a food pantry, whether it is a five-course fancy meal or a quickly grabbed fast food meal. Priest and theologian Barbara Brown Taylor recalls that, you know, if you want to find the perp, you follow the money. But if you want to find Jesus, you follow the bread. We see Jesus on the road to Emmaus, but we recognize him in the bread, always in the bread. Our Lord Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed.